Let me invite you and your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We're going to continue looking at our series, Seek First, and the Sermon on the Mount. Let me read our text again and then uh, give you our title and our big question and pray, and then we'll jump into our, our message this morning. Matthew 5, 21 through 26. There we read, You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, Do not murder. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar First, go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you are on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to your word, I pray that I would preach it clearly, that you would give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. God, I I invite you through your word and through your Holy Spirit to make application to our hearts this morning, to my own heart and to my own life. I ask that you would make such application. Lord, we are grateful to be here. We are grateful to study your word. Lord, would you speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're going to look at Jesus and murder, and here's the big question. What does Jesus want his followers to know about murder? Sometimes it is all in how you tell the story, isn't it? So if you're going to ask me how I keep the law, I might say something like this. Well, I've not had a speeding ticket since I was in college. But if you were to go to my children and say, how does your dad do keeping the law, They would say, well, he might not have had a speeding ticket since college, but when he drives, he's somewhere between 7, 8, 9, 10 miles over. He thinks he can go just that far over the speed limit before he'll get pulled over. So if I tell the story, I I keep the law of not gotten a speeding ticket in two decades. But if you ask my children, they might tell you the truth that I go past the speed limit almost every time I drive. In fact, if you ask a little further, one of them might say, yeah, he hasn't had a speeding ticket in two decades, but he got a ticket for an illegal U-turn a couple of years ago. Let me encourage you, don't go to my children. I will go to your families, okay? So let's just call a truce. But it's all in how you tell the story, is it not? Uh, If you let me tell the story, I'm going to tell the details that are most important to me, and I'm going to leave out the details that might be most important to me to leave out. And I suspect that if we came in this morning and got our bulletin and looked and and saw that the title of the message was Jesus and Murder, most of us probably said, okay, I'm good. But just as in it is always how we tell the story, Jesus has some things I think he wants to say to each of us, even as we think about this passage If we look here, what does Jesus want his followers to know about murder? I think there are several things. First of all, Jesus' call on his disciples' life goes deeper than the law. You see, I might be able to say that I have not had a speeding ticket in a couple of decades, but if you ask me, did you break the speed limit this week, 
I would almost assuredly have to say yes. And so if you ask me, have I ever murdered, I would say absolutely not. But if you were to ask me, have I kept the heart of that? Have I done what Jesus said and not been angry with my brother? I would have to say no. Now, maybe it wasn't this week that I was angry with a brother or a sister, but I confess it has happened in my life and probably not that too far back. And so the first thing I want us to see is that Jesus' call on his disciples' life goes deeper than the law. We want to look at the Ten Commandments and we want to go, okay, I've not murdered. In fact, we really only want to look at the really big ones, right? Because we all know that we've not been completely honest. And if we're, true, if we're honest, we probably have covered it, coveted something uh, small or big in our lives. And we don't really want to discuss that. So when it comes time to keeping the law, most of us will go, well, I've never committed murder. Or maybe we say, I've never committed murder and I've never committed adultery. So I'm not like my neighbor over there. And we want to sort of check off the big ones and say, hey, I'm okay. But when Jesus draws his followers away, when he draws them up to the mountain to share with them, he says some other things. We need to understand that Jesus' call on our lives, if we are disciples, it goes further than just simple checking of the law. Jesus starts this passage in a way that we will see as a pattern in the weeks to come. He says, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. Now, What is he quoting? He's quoting the Ten Commandments. He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting the law. And so they certainly would have been familiar with this. They would have heard it recited. Almost all of them would have memorized that passage. They would have known exactly what he was talking about in the moment. And they probably would have been a lot like us. They'd probably been like, all right, uh, murder. I haven't committed murder. I'm happy to talk about this one, Jesus. I have not committed murder. Great. And Jesus says, oh, well, I want to go a little further. You see, what he quotes is actually Exodus 20, verse 13, and Deuteronomy 5, verse 17. But notice that he increases the activity. He moves beyond murder, and he calls it uh, into something else in our lives. In verse 22, he says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Notice the contrast. He says, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. And we want to go, check, I'm good. But Jesus follows that up by saying, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Well, that hits a little differently, doesn't it? Like if we're honest, I suspect it's not been that long since we've been angry with a brother or sister. I suspect that it's not been that long since we've been angry. And Jesus says, you see, I want to talk to you about your heart. I don't want to talk to you about your outward keeping of the law. I want to talk to you about what's going on in your life. You see, we can all see the outward actions, but Jesus sees the heart, doesn't he? And so we may be able to say, I've not murdered, but he says, yes, but I know how you talk about your brother. I know how long you've been angry at a sister in Christ. I know the feud that is going on in your life, and it is not pleasing to me. And so we see that Jesus says our following him, our obligation to him, is greater than simply checking off a list of laws, but he wants us to follow him and to have hearts that are right. 
But not only that, we see that in verse 22, he sort of not only goes beyond murder to anger, but then he increases this anger. He says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So I would suspect that most of us have been angry with brother or sister, but then he goes further. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Oh my. Like, have we ever insulted a brother or sister? Maybe to their face or maybe behind their back, right? Well, I was, I mean, I was just on the phone talking to somebody. It really wasn't that big of a deal. And Jesus says, oh yes, it is a big deal. He says, whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. There will be judgment for that. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hell fire. The idea of fool here is uh, this idea. I mean, it, it parallels to the word that we would use, it, a similar word. Now, you may not use these words in your family, so I, I'm thinking about some of the young kids maybe over in the gymnasium. Maybe your family doesn't use these words, but here's what's meant here in this idea of you fool. It is you idiot, you imbecile, you who are empty-headed. Think about how angry you must have to be with somebody to say that. There is also a spiritual connotation that uh, you are so empty-headed that surely you don't know the Lord. Brothers and sisters should never talk this way about one another, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. But maybe you've been so angry at somebody you thought, I'm not even sure you know Jesus. That's the idea here, the idea of empty-headed, not right with the Lord. You see, there's a big difference between murder and anger and insults, isn't there? We can tell the story, I hope, most of us, we've never murdered. But Jesus doesn't want to talk to us about murder. He wants to talk to us about being angry at a brother or a sister in Christ, about insulting a brother or a sister in Christ, about calling into question someone's salvation. Let me just say to you, that is not my job. It's not your job either. I don't determine who goes to heaven. I don't determine who knows the Lord Jesus Christ, who has had their sins forgiven. Can I just tell you, I've got enough on my plate when I worry about Richard. By the way, you have enough on your plate when you worry about you. And so the idea that I would get angry at a brother or a sister in Christ, a, a, a church member or someone who I know is a believer to the point that I would say, I don't even think so-and-so knows Jesus who do I think that I am that I could make such a judgment as that? You see, anger starts off small in our heart, but boy, it will run wild if we don't get after it. So Jesus doesn't really want to talk to us about you shall not murder. He wants to talk about anger and insults and judgment of brothers and sisters. See, if I had told the story, I'd say, man, I'm I'm good. I have not murdered. But if Jesus were here to tell the story, he'd say, well, I've seen Richard's heart from the day he was born. And there have been lots of times when he's been angry. There's been some times in his life when he's insulted a brother or a sister. There's been some time when he's been so angry he's wondered about someone's faith. Jesus is concerned about us who follow him 
that it's not just an outward keeping of the law, that we're not just able to say, well, I haven't had a speeding ticket in decades. He's concerned about an inward attitude towards who he is and what he calls us to do. We may be able to say that outwardly we're okay, but Jesus sees our heart. So he is calling us to live You see, it's the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was given as God led the children of Israel out of Egypt. It was uh, there in Exodus 19. He uh, gives it. There's some other places where he gives it, but it's this idea of I will give you the law and you will obey the law and be my people. That is the Old Covenant. But the New Covenant is something different, and it is through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to take us to Jeremiah chapter 31 and read couple of verses where Jeremiah prophesies about the coming new covenant. And this is what he says. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's declaration. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. This one will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors on the day I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, even though I am their master. The Lord's declaration Instead, this is verse 33, instead, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, the Lord's declaration, I will put my teaching within them and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, it's not a keeping of the law written on stone anymore. We are believers who have been given the Holy Spirit and he has written his law on our hearts. And how we know this is when we get angry, if the Holy Spirit is inside of us, he will bring conviction about that anger. He won't go, well, you know, you've not murdered anybody today. You're doing a really good job, Richard. He'll go, no, I saw your heart, and I know what was there, and I know how angry you were at this brother or this sister, and that's not right. Or he'll say, I saw the words that you said when nobody else was around. I saw the thoughts that you had about that brother and sister, and you put voice to those thoughts. Or I saw when you doubted their salvation and called it into question in front of others. It is not a keeping of the law written in stone. Rather, as he has redeemed us and made us his followers, it is the law that he has written on our hearts that he will bring conviction about. So we see that Jesus' call on his disciples goes deeper than the law. But secondly, we see the seriousness of the situation. So we're kind of uncomfortable here, aren't we? We were feeling good when we read the first verse, and it was, Thou shalt not murder. But as Jesus goes, I want to go a little deeper and talk about your heart, we're getting a little uncomfortable. We're wanting to squirm in our seats. We kind of like to change the subject, but Jesus goes the next step. Look with me, if you will, at verses 23 and 24. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. You see, when we read here what Jesus goes on to say, he's putting in context the seriousness of the matter. I want to sort of give a couple of illustrations that would make it maybe maybe more applicable to us today. So let's say we're, we're worshiping today, and we've heard the sermon, and we've sung the songs, but when it comes time to the invitation, we felt a little conviction, and we want to go forward, and we want to pray to the Lord about something he's working on in our lives. 
the illustration that Jesus gives us is that we might be there during the altar time and we're gathered around the altar and we're praying and yet as we're praying about God, what he would do in our lives, it comes to our mind that somebody has an issue with us, that a brother or sister has a problem with us. What we ought to do is stop praying about whatever we're praying about, get up and go find our brother and sister and get those things right. Now, I want to give an even different illustration that's a little harder for a Baptist preacher to give, but I think you'll see why, and I think you'll see how it fits. Let's suppose we've made it through the invitation time, but now on the way out of the sanctuary, we're going to put our offering in the offering plate. As we're going to make our offering and give our tithes and offerings to the Lord, if it comes to our mind that there is an issue between us and a brother or sister, we are not to give the offering. We're to go and get things right right we're to stop participating in our worship until we go and get things right do we think that God is serious about this he says while you're worshiping me while you're being obedient in other areas if it comes to your mind that you have an issue with a brother or sister stop your obedience in those areas go and get things right and then come back and continue in obedience I would say he has our attention. So not only is he giving us an illustration of the seriousness of this, but if you go back and look at verse 22, we see the increase in subject matter and this increase in seriousness. So he says in verse 22, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with this brother will be, in the, 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 be, in the, uh, will be under the same judgment as that one who commits murder. The judgment will come. It is the same words in verse 21 and 22. But then he goes on to say, whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Or whoever says you fool will be in danger of or be like one who is in danger of hellfire. Now, we understand that if we are believers, our salvation is secure. But what he says is when we refuse to get things right with a brother or sister in Christ, we are acting and behaving like those who do not know Christ. What a condemnation. God is trying to get our attention. Friends, if Jesus is this serious about our relationships with one another, don't you think that we ought to be that serious about it? If he is saying, stop worshiping me and go and get things right, and then come back and worship, boy, he must be serious about it. If he is saying, when you refuse to do these, when you uh, do not uh, stop being angry at your brother or sister, when you give insults, or when you call them to question one salvation because of anger in your heart, you are like the lost person. I believe he is really trying to get our attention about the way that we get along with one another. I want to give you another illustration about why I think this is so important to God. So I have kids. My kids are wonderful, but they're not perfect, and they don't always get along. And I was tempted to use that as an illustration because I like that illustration a little better. But let me give you a different one. I have a sibling. I have a sister, and she's a, about two and a half years younger than I am. We did not always get along. We were not perfect. Uh, and we did not always love being in each other's presence. How do you think my parents felt about that? They hated it. I can remember my parents talking to us about what in the world is wrong with you all. You all are brother and sister. Why do you treat each other this way? Don't you know that we're family? You're supposed to love each other. 
I'm sure no other parent has ever had that conversation with any children, but in the Williamson family, that's what happened. I know that my family was concerned about the way I treated my brother. I mean, my sister. Sorry, I don't have a brother. My sister. They loved both of us, and because of their love for us, they wanted us to get along. Can you hear your heavenly Father today say to you, I love you, and I love your brother or your sister in Christ, even the one that you've had difficulty with. I love you both. I have paid the penalty for both of your sins. I have called you both into right relationship with me. I have redeemed you both. And I want you to get things right. Jesus draws our attention to the seriousness of the situation in verses 23 and 24. But then I want you to see the third thing this morning. Believers should be peacemakers. Now, we have already talked about this. In fact, in verse 9 of chapter 5, during the Beatitudes, we saw this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. I don't think it's an accident that it is the, the peacemakers' promise Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. There's a relationship with God here if we're going to be those who are peacemakers. And this passage that we're talking about now. We won't be angry for long at our brothers and sisters. We won't be those who hold on to a grudge with our brothers and sisters. We will be those who get things right because we are the children of God. Because we have been redeemed. Because we have been brought into right relationship. And so we see that we are to be peacemakers. The followers of Christ are to be those who are working diligently, doing the hard work of being at peace with one another. Just as it was with my sibling, just as it is with my children, just as it is with you all and your earthly siblings, it is with us who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, we who are brothers and sisters in Christ here, we're called into family. This idea of calling each other brother and sister is not something we came up with. It is who we are in Christ Jesus. It is a spiritual, eternal reality that we are acknowledging. If you are a believer, if you are a disciple of Christ, if you know Jesus as your Savior, then we have an eternal bond. We are brothers or sisters in Christ Jesus. We're family. And he has brought us into the same family and to use us for his sake and his glory. And what the heavenly father wants to say to us who are his today is, get about getting along. Get about forgiving. Get about repenting. Get about loving one another. You see, if we're going to be serious about being peacemakers, we're going to have to grow in our humility. By the way, humility is also a part of uh, the Beatitudes back in chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. The truth is, if you and I are going to be the types of brothers and sisters in Christ we need to be, we're going to have to do a whole lot of getting over self. We're going to have to do a whole lot of humbling of self so that whether it is about us or not, we will go and get things right. I want to draw your attention back to what Jesus says. He says in verse 23, So if you are offering your gift on the altar 
And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there. So it's not even that we have a problem with our brother and sister. It's that that we know that our brother or sister has a problem with us. You see, the temptation is to go, well, they're the one with the problem. I'll just wait till they get it right. And Jesus says, oh, no. If you know that somebody has issue with you, then you get up and you humbly go to them and you do everything that you can to get things right. In fact, elsewhere in the New Testament, we're told, for as much as it is possible with you, live at peace with all men. If it's up to you, get things right. If there's anything that you can do to solve the issue, do it. You be a peacemaker at all cost. We want to say, well, you know, they're the ones that started this. They're the ones with the issue. We'll just wait on them. And Jesus says, you're mine. I've redeemed you. I have ownership of you and your life. And what I would like for you to do is get things right with your brother or your sister. We must be peacemakers. We must grow in humility. As I was preparing for this message this week, I had some thoughts I want you to think about the body of Christ as a whole. So every believer on the earth this morning, all those who are in church this morning who are worshiping, what if they got a hold of this passage and it really took root? Like what if as the message was going on in services all around the world, people took serious what Jesus was saying here? Like people came under conviction and thought, I can't sit here another second. I can't wait until the preacher gets done. I have to go and get this done now. How many people would be compelled by the Spirit of God to to get out of their seat and to leave the service and to go out in the hallway, make a phone call to somebody they haven't talked to in a while? How many people might be compelled to go over across the sanctuary and bend down next to a brother or sister in Christ and say, my heart is broken, I'm grieved, I'm convicted by what Jesus has said, we've got to get this right. How many would go home from the service today, look for a neighbor to apologize to? How many would pull a brother or sister aside in the hallway this morning as we exited and said, I don't even know what we're arguing about, but I'm under conviction, would you forgive me if I've done something If I've done something that I don't even know about, I ask that you would forgive me. I want to get things right. We're a part of the family of God. See, I think if we hear what Jesus is saying here, we won't put it off. We won't put it off. We won't put it off. His illustration was if you're in the middle of worship and it comes to your mind, that there is a problem between you and a brother or sister, don't finish worship. Go and get things right. Would you pray with me, please? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. Lord, sometimes your word is comforting, it is calming, and it is encouraging. Sometimes your word is convicting. But God, you know exactly what we need. And maybe today there is some encouragement that you have provided. There is some comfort that you are working. 
Or maybe today you have brought conviction. Whatever it is, Lord, I pray that we would walk in obedience to what you want to do in our lives. Lord, if there are decisions that need to be made, if there are those who have the same testimony as our brother who was baptized this morning and they're not sure that things are right in their lives between you and them, I pray that this morning they would come forward, give me an opportunity to pray with them and open God's word and show them how they can know for sure. Or maybe this morning, Lord, you've spoken to us about a relationship with a brother or sister, maybe one who is as near as this room, maybe one who is in a different state or a different country. But Lord, if you've laid a response on our heart, I pray that we would walk in obedience to that. Lord, we give this time now to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing hymn number 329, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Would you please join me in standing as we enter this time of decision? Typically at this point, I would say, well, the Lord bless you, and I hope that each heart in life is right with the Lord, but I want to just speculate for a moment. I suspect the further we get away from the sermon this morning, the easier it will be for us to talk ourselves out of doing what we know we ought to do. There may even be some of us who are going, well, he really wasn't talking to me, and I don't really have to go and make a phone call or see somebody. I encourage you to seek the Lord on what you might need to do this afternoon. Don't put it off. 
Don't talk yourself out of it. Walk in obedience to what the Lord would have you do this morning. Brother Clive, would you come and close us out in prayer and pray for our offering, please, sir. Thank you, Pastor. Oh, Father and our God, we are just so truly thankful and grateful and appreciative this morning. Thank you for the word. Thank you for the words of the songs that we sang. and Everything was so powerful and so enriching this morning. And I hope, Lord, that we will truly take it to heart. It will make a difference in our lives. We will not be the same as when we came in, but something will touch us in a very special way. And it will make a difference in our lives today and going on in the future. Thank you, Lord, for gathering here this morning. My heart truly is filled, Lord, with your, with your love today. It's just been so awesome in this place. Truly, it was awesome in this place today. Pray for our offering now, Lord, that you would uh, use it. I pray for those that are in charge of these funds, that it, you will direct them and guide them and be with them. And that God, it will be used for your honor and for your glory. Help us to go in peace today and in the love of Christ. We ask your blessing on each and every one. As the church says, amen.